We've been in a series um, that I'm calling Jesus On. And, and what we've been trying to do in each of these talks is look at all these different topics and go, there's, all, there's a lot of maybe our own perception on how we think to either navigate or deal with these things. The world maybe has a perception on it. But for us to maybe navigate in a biblical sense, let's look to Jesus and see what he has to say. And so we've looked at things like last week we looked at judgment. Um, we've looked at pain. We've looked at sin. And so this week, I want to look at this idea, as Owen already said, of failure. How does Jesus navigate failure? How should we navigate failure? And so when I think of something like this, um, there's a time back when I was probably middle school, maybe late elementary school, and probably like most parents, when we would go to like a family thing, extended family, my dad always in the car right before we got out, he'd look at all of us and he'd say, make sure you behave. That was the expectation, make sure you behave. And so... I don't remember the specifics, but I remember we were at my grandma's house. She lived at Tiffin at the time. They were doing, he was a head pastor up in Tiffin, and so we'd go up there for some big family gatherings. And so we were there, and he had told us that before we got out. And so there was three different scenarios, one with my grandma, and then two, one with my aunt and one with my other aunt, that something came up, and I said something. It wasn't even necessarily bad, but I just wasn't thinking. I think one of them, um, we were sitting, if I remember right, we were sitting at the table and either I burped or somebody burped or something. And, you know, as a younger kid, our parents were trying to teach us manners. And so my grandma was like, you know, say, excuse me when you do that. And I just looked at her and say, well, that's just how our family is. <laughs> and then there was like some other scenario. Um, I want to say it was with my aunt at the time. Um, she had this style where it was like really short and it was almost like a little spiky, and I said something about her hair, how I didn't like it or something, and then my other aunt, I think it had something to do with her glasses. I didn't even think about this the whole time I'm there, you know? And so we finally get home, and at some point, all three of them had talked to my dad, so I get home, and I don't even think it was till the next day, so my dad sits me down, and it's never good when he says, we need to talk. And so I'm like, okay, what do we got now? And so we sit down, and he comes to me, and he says, you know, do you remember saying this? Yes. Do you remember saying this? Yes. Do you remember saying this? Yes. Okay. He said, so each of these things you said to Grandma and Aunt, Aunt Mick and Aunt Amy, those were the three that, that I'd said these to. And he said, I'm not too happy. I told you to behave. These were things you shouldn't have said, and you weren't watching your mouth. And so now, the humiliating part, I had to go apologize to each of these individually. It wasn't a group effort. It's like I couldn't sit them all down individually. And at that time, he wanted it done that day. So I was going to call each of them. And at that time, I don't even know if they did. There was only like maybe one that they shared. We still had like the landline. It wasn't the cell phone. And so I had to go over to ours was hanging on the wall. And I would have to grab it off the wall. And I remember calling each of these people. And as a young kid, it just... I just cried. I don't know if anybody else cried when they had to apologize. And so I'm like crying on the phone in tears. And, and each one, it was like, ugh. And finally, I get done with two of them. I'm like, man, I made it through. I just got to make it through one more. The third one doesn't answer. So now I have to wait on this for longer and longer till she finally calls back. And finally, she calls back. I think it was either later that day or even the next day and apologized to her. And I got done with everything. But, but 
what I think was even more deep for me, and it's been the whole way through me growing up, was not the things I said. I should have probably felt some guilt, but I didn't in some ways. I just said them. But what it was, was there was this expectation that my dad said, this is what I expect of you, and I failed him. Everything that I did in life as I got older, even when I started going down my own path, there was still something in me that when I failed my parents, it hurt the most. And all of us, whether we want to admit it or not, in some way or another, have at least failed or are currently failing in some way. There's an expectation, this is what somebody wants, this is what we're supposed to do, and we don't match it, and so we fail. And there's so many different ways to navigate this, because failure, in one way, I think Satan wants us to feel the guilt. He wants us to be stuck. He wants us to give ourselves, if you want to say, the name or this agreement that we make that we're a failure. You'll never measure up. You'll never succeed the way you're supposed to. And if he can get you to feel that, he's going to keep you in this low place. But I think Jesus has a different way to navigate failure, and I think it's a good way. It's a hard way. But I think he does an amazing job with a guy named Peter as he navigates his failure, as we'll look here in a second. Because he goes from this disciple that says, oh, I'd never do anything to hurt you. I'd, I'd go down with you, Jesus, to a failure. And then Jesus bringing him back. And so as you think about this, maybe in your own life, there's been some areas of failure and, and probably even some that you're not too proud of. And I think one of the things that you'll see that Jesus desperately wants you to know about failure is that you can't just leave it hanging out there. You've got to bring some either resolution, restitution, restoration to that failure so that there's like closure. It's just like in a conversation, an argument. It's like bring some resolution to what's hanging out there. And so, in Luke chapter 22, 54 through 62, I just want to read these verses. This is Peter, as Jesus is talking to him at the Last Supper. And he says, or before that, sorry, in verse 31, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to have all of you to sift you like wheat, but I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and turned to me again, strength, strengthened and build up your brothers. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to the prison with you and even to die with you. But Jesus said, Peter, let me tell you something. The rooster will crow tomorrow morning. And so the rooster, sorry, the rooster will not crow until tomorrow morning when you have denied me three times that you even know me. And so here's the beginning of the scene. He's talking to Peter, and he says, Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter says, no, I'm not going to deny you. And he said, no, it will happen. Before the rooster crows, you will deny that you even know me. Like you look at something like this, and this isn't like a huge thing that he has to do. It's just admitting that he's a follower of Jesus. This is Jesus' expectation that as a follower of me, you would recognize me. You would say you know me that you're a part of me, and he says, you're going to come to a place where you fail me and you deny me. And Peter says, I don't think so. Jesus says, okay, we'll wait and see. So then a few verses later, 
In verse 54 of Luke 22, So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's residence, and Peter was following far behind. So you're already starting to see this. He's not even coming close. He's not even just even physically distancing himself from Jesus. The guards lit a fire in the courtyard and sat around it, and Peter joined them. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight and began staring at him. Finally, she said, this man was a Jesus follower. Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know the man. So they get this fire going, and one of these girls is sitting there, and she goes, she gets a little glimpse of the firelight. She says, you look familiar. I think you are following this Jesus guy around. And I love how Peter says, he, he doesn't say no, he says, woman. Woman, he said, I don't even know the man. He says, you better watch your mouth. You calling me a Jesus follower? I don't even know him. And then there's another, I'm not going to read the whole section, but then there's another scenario. Same kind of thing happens. Somebody looks at him and they say, man, you were with that Jesus guy, weren't you? Peter says, no, don't know the guy. And then there's a third time, and I've even, some of the Gospels have, he cussed and, and swore that he didn't even know the guy. So he's getting upset that people keep associating him with Jesus, and so he's frustrated, and then immediately, and this is the part I really want to look into, Peter said, man, I don't know what you were talking about, and soon as he said these words, it says in Luke, the rooster crowed, and actually Peyton talked a little bit about this to me this summer when he was talking on this, at that moment, the Lord turned and looked at Peter. And then Peter remembered that the Lord had said, before the rooster crows tomorrow, you will deny me three times. Doesn't failure seem to become so much more difficult when you lock eyes or you see somebody that you love that you failed? Like Peter just doesn't even fail Jesus. He locks eyes the moment he's denied him the third time and the rooster crows. And I can just imagine his heart going, this is a guy that I followed for three years in ministry. I learned from him. I was taught by him. I was brought underneath his wings and really mentored by him. And he says, you deny me. I said, no, I won't deny him. And that moment that he denies him and he fails the expectation that God had, he locks eyes with his Savior. I think the failure is so much deeper, not just because he denied him, but it's that moment that he recognized as he locked eyes that I have failed the one that loves me, the one that said I would do this, and I looked him in the eyes and said I wouldn't do that to you. And he locks eyes with Jesus as a failure now. And many times in our failure, like Peter will do, is later on, in the next couple of chapters, when we fail, we feel like we don't measure up, so we go back to what we know. Because immediately when Peter, this whole scenario plays out, Jesus gets crucified on a cross, he's buried in the tomb, Peter looks at the rest of the disciples and he says, I'm going fishing. Because when we fail, we don't feel like we can measure up to the expectation we're supposed to be at, 
And so we're just going to go back to what we know. We're going to go back to the life that we're, we're brought up in because Peter was a fisherman before he came to follow Jesus. And so I have failed Jesus. I'm not good enough for Jesus. I can't do enough for Jesus. So I'm going to go back to what I know that has nothing to do with Jesus because that's where I'm a little more comfortable. That's where I feel like I don't have to measure up. And, and we can so easily, when it comes to the Christian faith, give this expectation that there's a certain measure that we have to be at in order to follow Jesus. Peter spent so much time with this guy, he should have understood the love, the grace, the sufficiency that God is, and that he's willing to forgive, and that he's willing to bring restoration. But it was the moment that he locked eyes in the failure of his own life that he says, I will never measure up to what Jesus has called me to. So I'm going to go back to this low-life job where I belong. Because fishermen were some of the lowest in that society. And so instead of saying, i got to move past this, he goes back to what he knows. How many times in our lives, when we fail, do we feel like we need to go back to what we know? To that low life. Or many times I felt like in my own sin, I'd have these problems and struggles and addictions and it was like every time I felt like I was making headway, oh, you know, I didn't do this for six months and then I fail. I might as well just keep doing it because I'm never going to beat it. Oh, I've gone a year without doing this and then I fail. And so now I'm a failure. I might as well keep doing this because I'm never going to measure up. And it seems like Peter is okay with the failure, at, with being a failure and says, I'll just live the life of a failure. I'll go where nobody pays attention to me. I'll get away from society so that I live on a boat and nobody has to be around a failure like me. He's used this as an opportunity to make this agreement that he's a failure. But Jesus, Jesus I think has a way as he navigates failure to say, let's take a look at what just happened for a second. And let's figure out how to move forward. So in John 21, real quickly, Jesus comes and there he comes on the beach and you know he yells at the disciples and they recognize that it's Jesus. And so Peter throws off his garment and he swims to shore. He jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. And then they cook some breakfast. Jesus cooks breakfast for them. And this is what he says in verse 15 of chapter 21. After breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said, you know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. Once more he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved that Jesus asked the question a third time. He said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus didn't want to leave Peter in his failure. Notice Jesus didn't ask him one time or two times. He asked him three times. Peter denied Jesus three times. I want to take you, Peter, back to your failure and confront it head on. 
I want you to understand, yes, you, you failed and you didn't measure up, but you don't have to stay there. If you truly love, love me, we can move past this. And so each time, it's just like in cornhole, each time that there's one beanbag on and the other team gets a beanbag on, they cancel out. So he says, okay, let's confront this first failure. Peter, do you really love me? Well, yeah, I love you. Okay, let's cancel that one out. Second one, beanbag gets on. The other team gets one on. Peter, do you love me? Yeah. Okay, let's cancel those out. And then the third one comes on and he says, do you love me? And I think that's what's so amazing about Jesus is not once does it say, maybe in first opinions, does he say, I told you so. I told you, Peter, you wouldn't measure up. How many times does Jesus navigate our sin and failure and he never throws it in our face? He just nonchalantly, after breakfast, they may have not even been talking about it. But he goes and he sits there and Jesus says, let's get into this. Just because you failed doesn't mean you have to stay there. Just because you didn't measure up doesn't mean I don't love you anymore. Just because you didn't make the mark doesn't mean you can't be forgiven. And at the same time, what's so cool about this interaction is not only does he make him confront his failure, what he's calling him to is to not go back to the old life, but to continue to live a life for Jesus in the future. He says, if you truly love me, don't go back to what you know. Don't go back fishing. Go feed my sheep. Go tend my lambs. Go make a difference for the kingdom. This is not where you belong. I have called you to a life that is so much greater, and it's the forward direction of your life. So stop going back to where you think you belong and go where I've called you to go. Because in those moments, we feel so small because we have failed what we've been called to, but Jesus says, I don't care. You messed up. Let's bring you back to it. You're restored. Now move forward, not going back to this, but forward to what I've called you to. I think when it comes to failure, Jesus wants you to confront it, and that's some of the hardest stuff to do. Because what you have to do is confront the ways you've failed, and some of them you're not proud of. And some of it, it's hard. And some of it's traumatic. And some of it is, is it just triggers or brings you back. And it's like, I'm, I'm not saying Jesus wants you to go back so it messes you up. But I think what He wants you to understand is that in order for you to move forward, you have to experience His grace and mercy in your failure so that you can go to where He's called you to. And if you don't experience that, I think it's going to hold you from what God's called you to to go to in the future. Because you won't truly experience His forgiveness and be able to move forward and say, that's not who I am anymore. I'm not a failure. I'm not putting this at the forefront of my life. Jesus has forgiven me. He's restored me. And so now I'm going to go where He's called me to. But so often we sit in the failure and then we just leave it brewing there for a while and we never take care of it so we never move forward and we're still out fishing on the boat when Jesus has called us to do something else. 
Jesus loves you. And he wants you to know failure is not final. Failure may be where you're at in the moment, and you may be sitting here thinking of times that you failed even yesterday, this morning, this past month, the past couple years, and you've said, I just, Taylor, you can't say God's calling me to do this. You can't say God's calling me to make a difference where I work. God's not calling me to tell this person about Jesus or invite this person to church or, or talk to them about this Bible study that I'm a part of because I don't, I don't have my own life straightened out. I've failed in so many areas, but Peter did too and became one of the greatest people to go on and pave the way for the church. Same with Paul. Look at his life. What a failure. We don't like to talk about Paul's early life, but he was killing Christians. And yet was one of the biggest cheerleaders for Jesus. Wrote most of the New Testament. A pillar of faith. Your failure isn't your final destination. That's not what you're known for. Jesus doesn't want you to hang on to it. He wants you to be restored and experience His forgiveness and move forward. And so I end with this. Um, I remember one of the hardest situations that I had to confront in my own life as a failure is I think I've maybe mentioned some of this, um, but there was um, this girl in high school, and she was in high school, I was just graduated, and I had been running down my path for about probably eight or nine years at this point. And so I started messing around with this girl and started messing around with her and different things, and um, I ended up sleeping with her. And so I had to have this confrontation. There was somebody here that heard about this, and they wanted me to take care of it. They didn't want me to sit in my failure, and they wanted me to be restored and everything uh, uh, to work out. And so he called me. Actually, he stopped me here. It wasn't he didn't call me. He stopped me here, and he told me, he said, I'm going to give you the chance to go home and tell your dad. And I remember I was just so upset because when, when you're in your sin, you don't care what other people say and trying to confront you to get you better. You think it's actually going to hurt you more than it's going to help you. And so I was like, okay, whatever. And so I go home, and all day and all the next day, because I think it was the following night he said he was going to give my dad a call, I sat on this, and I sat in my room for so long, and I couldn't bring myself to come tell my dad because I knew how much I had failed him. I knew that he wanted this expectation, not even just for me, but he wanted me to experience the life that God could give me, and this was not the expectation of that life, and I never did it. I never went out and told him. He ended up getting the phone call and was definitely not happy, but probably would have been, been at least a little better if I would have talked to him. And I remember him saying, once he finally calmed down a little bit and he was talking to me, he said, I don't know why you just didn't come tell me. And so many times I think that's where Jesus is when it comes to your failure, is that you're sitting there on the failure and he's like, I just want you to come tell me. I just want you to share with me. I'm not going to judge you. I'm not going to slam you. I want to forgive you and give you the loving grace of Jesus. Just come bring your failure to me. So as you look at your life, 
Don't let this failure stay out there. Go to Jesus. Bring that failure to Him. And become restored so you can continue to move on to the path that God's called you to.